If you have a Bible with you, turn to the book of Luke chapter 1 for me, please. And we're going to continue our journey through the Christmas story, particularly this morning, looking at the Song of Mary, a young lady who, with great simplicity and purity, was caught up in the narrative of God rewriting the story of humanity. Mary, an ordinary girl from an ordinary town living an ordinary life, finds herself encountering an extraordinary God. And that extraordinary God invites her to be part of an extraordinary story. The story of how God wants to redeem mankind into relationship with the Father. And the story of a Savior who is born in humble surroundings and conditions that rises up to triumph over death, has victory over sin, and has afforded us the luxury of calling Him our Savior. Mary, simple, honest, pure, and indeed not indulgent, finds herself at the center of all that God is doing. In Luke chapter 1, verse 26, we read her story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, and the angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. I don't know if you ever pause and read these words with some kind of sense of humor. I'm Irish. I have a sense of humor. Don't let the rumors tell you otherwise. But you know, if Mary was highly favored, what does favor look like? Because from here on in, things get a little complicated. You know, sometimes when I think we desire the favor of God, what we're really asking for is an easy life. If you really want the favor of God, then you will experience adversity. You will experience all kinds of criticisms. People will misunderstand you. They will malign you. They will marginalize you. Anybody want a bit of favor this morning? But Mary was more than favored. She was highly favored. Greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. There in the essence is what favor is all about. Mary was greatly troubled at his words, and I'm not surprised, <laughs> and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do you know, out of the gospel message at Christmas, that phrase repeats itself consistently. Do not be afraid. Of all the things that the Lord could utter to all kinds of people in all kinds of contexts about the coming of the Messiah, right at the center of that dialogue is that phrase, do not be afraid. And I wonder if it means for us this morning, do not be afraid to have hope again. Do not be afraid to dream for breakthrough. Do not be afraid to believe that your family will come to know Jesus. Do not be afraid to believe that your marriage can be restored. Do not be afraid to believe that this could be the year where you see the favor of God turning up in your ordinary life doing extraordinary things. Do not be afraid of what people think about you. Do not be afraid of what you have been. For when the Lord begins to move on a heart, everything becomes possible to those who believe in Him. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call Him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Then the Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. Now, if you were Mary, I think you'd have a few questions. Would you not? And rightly so, she begins dialogue about those questions. How can this be? 
Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin. And the angel responded, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One will be born and be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God ever fails. And Mary responds to what is an extraordinary invitation. And she's not hesitant in her responses. It's almost like her life has preconditioned her to believe two things. Life is hard, but God is good. And so she responds with these words. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answers. May your word to me be fulfilled. And the angel left satisfied. Now, Mary is so excited about this. And of course, she's heard from the angel that her relative Elizabeth is pregnant too, which in the family would have been a huge deal. And so she sets out on a journey. I suppose she's bursting to tell her news. And she also wants to hear what's happening in Elizabeth's life. So look at verse 39. At that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zachariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. Now, these two women... One is carrying the child known to us as John the Baptist. The other one, Mary, is carrying the child known to us as the Christ. As soon as they meet each other, something begins to happen. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the child that you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord shall fulfill his promise to her. I'm going to say something I would never say from the platform ordinarily, but I feel prompted this morning as the Spirit leads me to do so. For those of you who are waiting this year for a breakthrough in regard to having a child, watch out. God is about to move in power. You will be blessed this year. You will be blessed this year. So Mary and Elizabeth's relatives, both carrying children, one the Messiah, the other John the Baptist, this incredible spiritual encounter begins to take place. And Mary just can't contain herself. She just can't hold it in anymore. She's so overwhelmed by all that God is doing in her life. I love that when that happens. I love it when people can't keep it in. I love it when people can't keep it down. I love it when people are so full of the joy of the Lord that it spills out and creates possibilities for God to move. Do you remember those days? How about revisiting them in this hour? How about us becoming so full of God again in this hour? Amen? Amen. I mean, you'll be full of turkey by the end of December. You might get a whole bunch of presents you never wanted and can't take back. Hallelujah. But wouldn't it be amazing if that after the season had passed, we were as ready as we could be for the year that came ahead? Wouldn't it be good that we were so full of joy we couldn't keep it in? I wonder this Christmas, will Jesus get a mention at your table? I wonder this Christmas, beyond the crackers and the tinsel and the trees and the lights and everything, and it's all very lovely, will there be a moment where you are so full of joy you just have to say something? 
And maybe that's the beginning of what it means for the church to arise and to shine for the light has come and the glory of the Lord is rising upon us. You know, church, as we move towards this future that I believe is going to get more difficult for us, this within us is going to have to determine what happens around us. Greater is he who is in you than anything you will face in the year that lies ahead. It's time to be trained right now for all that's about to happen in the future. I believe the best days of our lives are ahead of us. And three of us said, amen. And someone else said, oh me. And the other one said, I'm really glad about that. So Mary's song, it just comes out of this place of fullness. It's, it's a song so exuberant and powerful that actually over historical times in the church, people have wanted to keep this particular second part of it a secret and not actually declare it in a public p place because it's so controversial. But it starts with this wonderful phrase. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. Now, put yourself in the picture, please. When have you ever heard a teenager say that out loud? When have you heard a teenager who's just discovered they're pregnant say it out loud? Someone outside of marriage with a reputation, trying to live a good life and trying to stay pure, suddenly has an announcement to make that changes everything in their life. It changes how people see them. It changes what people believe about them. It changes what people understand to be their spirituality. And Mary was a good girl. She lived a pure life. She kept herself from her fiancé, Joseph. And suddenly she's making this declaration that God is with her and has indeed given her the privilege of becoming the mother of the Messiah. She didn't know what to do with the information. She didn't know how to handle what God had given her. But she answers the invitation with these words and they say a huge amount to us of her character and nature. Verse 37, nothing is impossible with God. Has God ever offered you something and you looked at it and you thought, I can't see how this is going to go. I love the phrase in the scripture says, God makes a way where there appears to be no way. Isn't it true that so often when God invites us to something exceptional, we take a look at ourselves or look at the circumstances or look at the faces around us and we think, uh-oh, my survey says this isn't going to happen. But Mary doesn't do any of that. Mary is so full of the joy of the Lord that she lifts her voice and she magnifies the Lord. She's not magnifying her conditions. She's not magnifying the potential problems. She's not magnifying the difficulties that she would find in relationships. She's magnifying the Lord. She is making much of God, making more of Him than perhaps others would even recognize. This year is going to have lots of challenges for you. My prayer is that you, like Mary and I, will magnify the Lord as circumstances come, as situations change, as God invites us to greater levels of relationship with Him, please do not be mistaken. The enemy is going to come and try and take from you what God is offering you. You know that He's always crouching at the door, trying to steal and to rob and destroy. I wonder will your initial response be, oh, magnify the Lord. Oh, magnify the Lord. What we're saying in those moments is, Satan, you are small, but God is great. We're saying, Satan, you are a mouse with a megaphone, and he is the lion of the tribe of Judah. We're saying in moments like that, 
What looks impossible to me by natural terms or indeed engagement is not possible because my confidence and my certainty is in the word of the Lord. Mary goes on to reaffirm herself to the purposes of God. In verse 38, she says this, I am the Lord's slave. In other words, I am tied to him. I have no alternative. I'm going nowhere. There's no one else to lean upon. There's nothing else I need. There's no one else who needs to give me their opinion. I am the Lord's slave. I am owned by him, totally belonging to him, totally given over to his purposes, totally surrendered to his will. You see, sometimes I think God invites us to glorious encounters, to amazing breakthroughs, but we have become a slave to other things. We've given our hearts to other distractions, caused our lives to be taken up with all kinds of notions. If you want the will of God and the breakthrough of God this year and the blessing of God and the favor of God, there will be adversity, but you won't get through it unless you are welded in certainty to the reality that He is your Lord, He is your Savior, and He is your Master. As the year ends and another begins, I want my prayer to be, may it be according to your will that my life unfolds, O oh God. Let me take you to the second thing that I see Mary doing in this moment, which I think is important for us also to pay attention to. In verse 48, she says these words, For he has been mindful of my humble state. In other words, God, you have seen my lowliness. Mary is really conscious of her littleness. Is there anyone here who has moments of clarity about just how little you truly are? Is there anybody in this room that has a momentary glimpse of how impoverished your life truly is? When God begins to turn up in great and glorious ways, the human condition is such that we become very conscious of our inability. I think sometimes we try to mask that. Sometimes we try to pretend that we're better than we are. Sometimes I think in the church we want to fake it, hoping we'll make it. <laughs> but you know, the Bible tells us that the race is not to the swift. It doesn't even belong to the strong. God takes the simple, foolish, sometimes incomprehensible individuals and does exceptionally profound and glorious things through them. Your sense of lack is simply an opportunity to understand how great he is. Your sense of inadequacy is an invitation to step beyond your capacity into the God of glory, to move out of self-reliance and to start operating in God dependence. All that God wants to do, all that God desires to do is to invite you to partner with him for his kingdom to come. Mary felt unworthy in the year that lies ahead, there are going to be things that God is going to ask you to do. And you, like Mary and like me, will have a little rain check and say, God, you know, maybe I just need to go on this course. Or perhaps I need some more training. Or maybe I just need to pray a little bit more. Or maybe I need to fast a little bit more. God, I need to do something. God's will for your life is that you're not waiting around until you think you're ready. But you trust his voice as he leads you into the future. And you move out of that self-analysis and that awareness of lack into the place where you have to trust him. 
In fact, I believe that the church in the future will move out of self-reliance into God-dependence. The need is going to become so great, we're not going to be able to make it happen ourselves. Our resources in human terms are limited, but we have everlasting to everlasting love in the reality of who God is that can move a city to life, that can move a family back to hope, that can restore a community to some kind of order. I believe that God wants us to understand how small we are, not to humiliate us, but to invite us to spectate at how great He truly is. Is there anybody up for a little of that reality in the new year? Anybody desiring to see the greatness of our God? It'll start with a recognition of your smallness, but do not let that hinder you from stepping towards Him in faith because God will take your ordinary everyday life and do something extraordinary through it. Thousands upon thousands of ordinary people over hundreds and hundreds of years have done exceptional things for God. There are people that you look back and you think they're great that once stood in a moment like we're having now and thought, God, I can't do this. I don't know where to begin and I don't know how to start. And God just said, lean in on me. Trust me. Just be obedient to my voice. Be a slave to my purposes. And we look back and we think of names like George Jeffries and Billy Graham and Reinhard Bonnke. Do you know there was a moment where Reinhard Bonnke had exactly that reality. He could see that the world and Africa particularly needed to be saved and his own resources were limited but in faith believing that God had spoken to him he stepped towards his destiny and countless millions of people have come into the kingdom of God you're not alone when you have those moments of inadequacy they happen to anybody any woman or man of God that God ever chose to use because we are coming to terms with our reality but we are being invited to explore the depths the heights the breadths and the lengths of the goodness of God Take those invitations seriously in the year that lies ahead. They are the gateway to the glory of God. They are the gateway to God moving in power in your life. It's time to step away from the falsehood of self-analysis and step towards, by faith, the goodness of God. It's time for the church to stop trying to do things in its own strength and to start to believe that he who began a good work is going to carry it on until it's completed. And look at verse 49, she goes on. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Under the surface of anyone who's ever accomplished anything that's great is this question, why me? Why did you choose me? You know, I often think back of my story and I think there are so many better people in my family who could do this. I remember we had an induction service in Glasgow and my brother, who is a professional crook, he came to the induction service and uh, he'd never been to anything in the church and this is a big moment, we're stepping up into senior leadership and they invite him to say a few words and I'm always cautious when anyone invites anybody in my family to say a few words, you never know what's going to come, you never know. And so I stood, and Jane will remember, stood at the side watching my brother Larry, and he stood up, and he was eloquent. I thought, who is this man? And then he started to preach. He's not even a believer. And he's saying things like this, you need integrity with God. When I came down off the platform, the senior deacon said to me, I think we got the wrong brother. (laughs) 
which was a great moment for me. <laughs> it was a great moment for me because I look around my family sometimes and I ask the question, God, why did you choose me? There are smarter ones, cleverer ones. Do you know if my brother ran a church, they wouldn't have a debt? I won't tell you where you'll get the money from, but they would never have a debt. <laughs> why me? And God whispers back, why not you? Everything that we've experienced in life, from the minute we gasped our first breath, even before that, the hand of the Lord has been upon our lives. The Bible says he knows the plans he has for us to prosper and to bless us. You may be rejected. You may have been abandoned. You may have had people say all kinds of things about you. But here's the reality, church. If you're here today, you're born again and you're walking with Jesus. He chose you from the foundations of the earth. You did not even choose him. <laughs> here's another little moment for us. Do you think God is shocked or surprised that you have inadequacies? I remember very early into my spiritual journey thinking God must be really disappointed. In fact, the word I used was gutted. Believing that he would now be aware that I wasn't quite everything I appeared to be. I felt the whisper of the Spirit say to me this, God will never be disappointed with you. He didn't have any expectations in the first place. He knew exactly what he was getting and he chose you. Many are called, but few are chosen. Aren't you grateful that your why me is God's invitation so that you can be overwhelmed with his goodness in the days that lie ahead? Verse 50, Mary sees that God's actions towards her in calling her and giving her this opportunity is a demonstration of his mercy. She says this, that it comes from generation to generation, the mercy of the Lord on those who fear him. What she's actually saying in a poetic way is, God, you did not give me what I deserved. You showed me mercy. You withheld what I should have had and you gave me what I could never earn. Mary stands before the Lord just as we do, needy, flawed, with nothing to merit his favor, nothing to earn but judgment. But instead of judgment, she gets the favor of the Lord. She's amazed that God knows her so well and yet he still chooses her anyway. And she's absolutely taken up with the reality that what's happening to her is certainly not deserved, but indeed is the most wonderful gift that God could give a human soul. And let me pause there for a minute because I want to just remind you that what happened to Mary really in spiritual terms has happened to us. Mary became a carrier of the presence of God. Christ became incarnate in her flesh. And when you became born again, the Spirit of God came to live inside of you. You are as pregnant as Mary was with the potential of Christ. All of God's dreams placed inside of you are yet to fully be realized. But the one who is with you is greater than anything that's against you. And God has chosen you to carry him. Please don't think that's just for prophetic people or for creative people. Whoever you are, wherever you come from, whatever you think of your personality type, God has taken up residence in your life. He has made your temporary body 
a place of refuge for him in the world around you. And I don't know how you feel about that, but I think that's one of the greatest privileges of being a child of God, is that God will be with me. God is with me. He's in me. He's for me. It doesn't really matter what's going on around me. When I pay attention to that reality, I want to host him well. I want to make sure that this temple, the temple of the Holy Spirit, is kept in good order. I don't want anything to defile my intimate connection with God. I want my soul and spirit to be awakened to the reality of His presence. I want courage to come because I'm certain that actually having Him with me means that whatever I'm dealing with in this life can have a possible different outcome. You know, the church is the only place on the planet where the presence of God is a consistent reality. The Bible says where two or more gather in his midst, he's in the midst of them. God comes and he also comes because he's already in you. And when you come, you bring him with you. I wonder what it would look like if we valued that a little bit more. If we appreciated his abiding presence. I wonder what choices we'd make as a result of being conscious of that state. I wonder how many decisions I would make that came out of the overflow of that reality, not out of my knee-jerk reaction to the problems that surround me. I want my body to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to feel at home in me. I want my house, this house, to be a house of prayer. I want to live in consistent union and clarity and certainty and connectivity with the God who delights in me. I want to live out of the fullness of the Father's love. I want to be joyous because the one who is in me is joyous. I want to be full of hope because he is hope that is steadfast and sure. I want the reality of God in me to be consistent and permanent in my heart and in my life. I want Mary experienced in a temporary way. We who are born again believers by the power of the Spirit have in an eternal reality. God is with you. Are you enjoying him? Are you celebrating him? Are you conscious of his presence? Are you making room and space for him to have his way? Are you living in consistent unity with him? Father, let that be the case. Let that be the reality. Now, the second part of Mary's song is a little bit more radical. And she's moving into some things that for her, as a lowly, simple, peasant girl, are actually way beyond her. But isn't that the case whenever the Spirit of God comes and does something remarkable in somebody? You start to see things with a little bit more clarity. Mary starts to sing about a new thing that's about to happen. She recognizes in the second part of this particular song that there's a rescuing power coming to the earth through the son that she is carrying in her womb. And she's stating this in verses 51 to 55, that God's strength can change everything. Why don't you say that with me? God's strength can change everything. Look at your circumstance and your life right now. And just declare that prophetically over your future. God's strength can change everything. Mary was speaking of a new world that Jesus was about to initiate. She was speaking of the kingdom of God, a kingdom of power, a kingdom of authority. Now that's important because the context in which these words are coming look like they're the opposite. For many, many years, the Israeli people, the Jewish people had been captive to the Roman Empire 
Do you know that they, they would take up to 60% of all that they earned in taxes? And if you could not pay your taxes, you would have to trade your children and trade your farms and trade your, your family businesses to be able to compensate for that which you weren't able to pay. These were horrendous times. We think we've got it bad with Brexit. These were horrendous times. You think the tax man is bad now? Thank God we're not under Roman rule. Thank God. Let's read on to what she says. Verse 51. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their innermost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones. Haven't we seen a little of that in the last few years? Amen. Amen. But he has also uplifted the humble. Verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. And Mary, it says in verse 56, stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. So let me talk to you, if I can, in the final few moments we have, about what it means for us to see God move in power through us. The first thing I want to highlight to you is this, that when Jesus came to this earth, he did come to save you. Aren't you grateful for that? If you don't know him personally today, please find out about him. In fact, after our service this morning, there'll be somebody standing over here who will try and answer some of the questions you have about the reality of Jesus. Take every opportunity to discover who Jesus is because Jesus is the answer to everything in your human experience. Everything you've looked for, everything you've hoped for, everything you've dreamed could be possible. Peace, joy, fullness, blessing, courage, joy. All of those things are found only in the person we know as Jesus Christ. If you're new to the church, you might realize now why we're so excited about him. He truly has wrecked us for anybody less. Jesus is everything to us. We love him. We delight in him. He has transformed our lives. Some of us in this room were addicted to all kinds of things and he came and he broke those things away from our lives. And we never believed we'd be free, but we're here today rejoicing and thanking God. Some of us in this room... We had no idea when we prayed a prayer, however many years ago, how radical the transforming power of Jesus would truly be to our lives. And we are clearly unrecognizable from the people we used to be because he who started something will never sleep or slumber until it's finished in the human soul. God is faithful to his people. He's faithful to his promises. And if you don't know Jesus, you're simply missing out. And the whole thing about us joining together to celebrate him is that he has come amongst us but more than that he has come in us and he is with us in the midst of our trials and our difficulties and our temptations God is so good please 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 take a little time this season to discover that for yourself but it's not just about me it's not just about my life being changed it's not just about my broken sexual past being healed it's not just about the new life that Jesus has given me. It's not just about the, the trauma of childhood being restored. God has come into my life so that I can make a difference to somebody else's life. He has shown me who he is so that I can reveal who he is to other people. And one of the things I think that's going to happen in the days ahead is we're going to see lots more people come to that clarity and that revelation. You see, church is not about us having a good time. 
Now, I like a good time. Is there anybody who likes a bad time? We've all had them. They're not great times, are they? But as good as this is, as great as this can be, when I leave this threshold, I get back on with my real life. And my real life will have difficulties. And out there amongst ordinary people, I get to demonstrate the extraordinary love of my God. When everyone's got their hands raised and they're singing songs, I get carried along by that because I feel I'm being conditioned so that when I step into the world, I can condition the world with hope and joy and fullness and blessing. We gather so that we can scatter. We come to learn that we may become teachers. We come under the auspices of his presence that we may carry that presence into our families and into our homes and into our communities. We come to be filled with hope and joy, not so we can sing merry songs until Jesus returns, but so hope and joy can turn up in our workplace. In the midst of circumstances and situations where people have no hope, we become, like Jesus, a light to the world. And this is what it says, the radical truth of what Jesus has come to do. Verse 51, he will rescue the helpless. Is there anyone here who has been helpless and has been rescued? Three of us. Any advance on three? I'll take a fourth. I'll keep going because we were all helpless. We were without hope until he gave us hope. Do you know in your sin, you had no way of making it right with God. But God in His grace made you right with Him through Christ. You were helpless to do anything about your sin. Helpless whatsoever. You tried to build your bridges. You tried to be a good person. You tried to do nice things. They meant nothing to God and they changed nothing in you. But when He came into your heart and into your life, He cleansed you from all your sin. He brought you out of darkness into His glorious light. You stepped away from being an orphan and became a son and daughter of the Most High God. You were helpless. You were hopeless. But Christ came amongst you and he transformed your lowly body, your broken body, your desperate body into something that God could use. God will always rescue the helpless. Do you know many times when I've stood on the streets of cities in different churches I've pastored and I've looked at the desperate state of human lives. I remember this one lady called Emma came to us in Glasgow. She was working as a, a prostitute and God just touched her heart and she became a born again believer and she began to come to the church and she got a life and she got a family back and she got hope back and she got dignity back and she got self-pride back. Oh God, it was so amazing to watch. It was just so amazing. It wasn't us that did any of that. It was the Lord who loved her, who gave her hope in the midst of hopelessness. She went on to be one of our key workers, reaching out to all kinds of girls who were caught up in the sex industry. She must have led about 40 or 50 young ladies back into the arms of Jesus. God did amazing things through her life. Was her sin any worse than yours? Was her need any greater than yours? No, because we have all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have been marred and marked by sin. But when he comes, he comes with hope. When he comes, he comes to rescue us from our helplessness. He comes to rescue us from our hopelessness. And Mary knew that. Look at these verses. Verse 51. He has done a mighty deed with his arm. In other words, God has strength 
and capacity to change anything. Someone say amen to that. Amen. See, church, if I'm a little excited today, because I am a little bit, <laughs> it's because I've been struggling with man flu all week. And you know how deadly that can be. You don't sound very sympathetic. There's a shock. But you know, even in our weakness, even in our lack, I find that God turns up. We are not without hope. We are never without hope. Somebody say amen. Wake up, church. We are never without hope because God is our strength, our refuge, ever present in our times of need. So Mary's saying something quite political. She's saying, you see all you important people? <laughs> you people who got it all together, you're about to get blacked. God is about to do something that you never thought would happen to you. You see, you Herods, you're going down. You see, you people who think you got it all going on, you've got nothing. God is going to take nobodies and he's going to make them somebodies. Just watch out and see what God does in the days that lie ahead. See all of that power brokering and struggling to be on top? You're going down. You're going to be at the bottom of the pile. God is going to take helpless individuals and he's going to fill them with hope and send them out into the world to speak a new day and a new way. He's standing right now on the precipice of this year and saying, just Remind yourself of your helpless estate and I will turn up in your life and I will do something great. Never fool yourself to believing your Facebook publicity. Your life is not as glorious as you pretend it to be. Stay ordinary and real with me and I will do something extraordinary in and through you. Mary could see that this little baby inside of her was going to change the world. I would love us to think that what God has placed inside of us can change the world. Has it changed you? Has the power of God changed you? It's not a rhetorical question. Well, if it can change you and we knew how bad you were, what kind of hope does that present to the world? I believe that you are a walking evidence of a resurrection power. God has restored you and brought you into his family. And now you are commissioned by him in that power to go out to the highways and the byways and change the world around you. Look at verse 51. For he has done a mighty deed with his arm. In other words, there are people in this world caught up with all kinds of world values. And they may be out of options in this new season because God is going to bring a level playing field for humanity. He's going to take the high and lofty off their positions and bring the lowly up to their rightful place. That's good news if you've been fooling yourself in thinking that those who die with the most toys win the game. That's good news if you're in a world that's so competitive that you struggle to even keep up, trying to make sense of all the striving to be. That's good news if... You've recognized that it's not by might or power, but God's spirit that anything good can happen to you. It's a good news day for us to realize that we don't have to be caught up with the world's systems of brokering our own success and our own advancements. And if you've been dealt a crummy hand in life, 
and maybe you didn't get born with a silver spoon in your mouth or even anywhere near your body, then I've got good news for you. You may have started out low, but you could end up great. You may not have come into this world with great opportunity, but the God who is in you will afford you great opportunity to rise in strength and authority in the days that lie ahead. The message of Jesus is that it's a level playing field, that those who think they are might not be all that they think they are, and those who think they're not might be raised up to a place where God will cause them to be mighty. Whoever you are, whether you're high and lofty or low and needy, just bring your case to the Almighty, and Mary's song will comfort you in this hour, for God is positioning His church for all that He wants to do. Verse 52, He will exalt the humble. Our world is upside down. The humble don't get exalted. Do you know, I've been in ministry for over 25 years now. And, and one of the things I thought would be a good attribute to have as a person who was serving God was humility. I am so proud of my humility. And over the years, people have said to me, oh, Simon, you know, um, I just wish you were a little bit more assertive. Could you just be a little bit more confident, Simon? See, when I look at Jesus, I don't see Jesus like that. I don't see Jesus enforcing himself on people. I don't see Jesus making sure his agenda is worked out. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. And yet, the world I live in is full of people trying to be heavy-handed and overbearing about their rights. If you're a Christian here today, can I give you some good news? You don't have any. You don't have any rights. You're a bond slave to Christ Jesus. Now, that doesn't mean that you have to be downcast. You should be rejoicing in your position as a slave to Christ. How many times have I watched over the years people who were larger than life become small and insignificant over time? How many who were at the top ended up at the bottom? How many who were at the bottom ended up at the top? God's kingdom is upside down. And if you want to be used of Him in the future, you ask Him to help you with humility. When you start to live in humility, you start to become accessible to the God of glory. Humility is not you beating yourself up and saying, I can't do anything. This is what humility looks like in its truest sense. Oh, in and of myself, I can do nothing. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. There is something about the God who lives inside of me that gives me courage to live differently. And in that humility, God will start to raise you up gloriously. We need to seek humility, not glory. We need to labor for the Lord, not for ourselves. We need to stop caring who gets the credit, who gets noticed, who's the most important, who cares? Who cares about that? Do you know there are people that are getting rewards here, they will never get your reward in heaven. And there are people that don't look like there's any reward here and they're going to get rewarded when they get to heaven. We need to give without expecting to get something back. Just because it's good to give. It's godly to give. It's kind to give. We need to be generous to those who are less fortunate than ourselves. Not out of Christian charity, because we care about the poor, but because we recognize that we are all poor, whether it's economically or spiritually, and we're taking care of those that God has placed around us. We need to take the back seat and not the front seat. We need to be slow to speak 
and quick to pray. We need to allow our opinions to be subservient to those of others around us, even if we disagree with them, trusting that the God who has placed that opinion in you will bring his truth to light. If we want to get up, we need to get down. If we want to be used greatly, we need to become the servant of many. In Isaiah 66 verse 2, it says this, that God will look favorably on this kind of person, the one who is humble, submissive in spirit, and who trembles at his word. And finally, it says that he will fill the hungry. Verse 53, only he can satisfy your hunger. There is no man, no woman, no job, no position, no success. Only God can satisfy your hunger. He, it says here, will satisfy the hungry with good things. Who wants to be satisfied with good things? Is there anybody who wants some good things in 2020? <coughs> what if I was to tell you that the key to that satisfaction is hunger for God? What if I was to remind you that if you seek Him, with all of your heart, with all of your mind, and with all of your strength, if you put first him and his kingdom, that he will add to your life all of the things that we spend so much of our time trying to gain or even reward ourselves with. God is looking, as we step into this new millennium, he's looking for a people who are hungry, a people who move past self-sufficiency, a people who step away from counterfeit satisfactions that are temporary and not eternal, God is looking for a people who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And he promises that if you get in touch with that hunger and allow him to satisfy, you will be filled. As we step towards the future, my prayer is that I would not be known for my fullness, but I would be recognizable by my emptiness. The reason I pray that prayer it's because I know that God is drawn to emptiness. When I have voids in my life and brokenness and need, he comes and he supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory. When I'm confronted by my weariness and my, my lack, I'm invited to be drawn into his greatness and his eternal supply of goodness. If the church wants to be effective in the days that lie ahead, we need to position ourselves before God in need how needy are you as you step towards 2020? Don't be satisfied with temporal things. They will never, ever quench the thirst in your soul for him. There's a wonderful scripture. It says this, taste. In other words, take the bread of heaven, the Christ the Messiah, the fullness of God. Take him into your very being. And here's what happens. Taste and see. In other words, your eyes will be opened to all of the superficialities that have drawn you away from him consistently. As you are satisfied with the bread of heaven that can only satisfy the hunger in the human soul. No politician no breakthrough in jobs, no marriage, no person can ever give you what God can give you. Only he can satisfy. 
as you taste, as you absorb, as you take into yourself the fullness of who Jesus is, your eyes will be opened and you will see everything differently. God will bring revelation about what is valuable, what isn't valuable, what's priority, what's not priority. And look at the outcome of those two things. You taste, you see. How many of us need greater clarity for the future? Here is the evidence of what is seen, that the Lord is good.